0: You're listening to Meet the Thriller Author, the podcast that features interviews with thriller, mystery, and suspense authors. I am your host, Alan Peterson, and today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash M-T-T-A. That's an M as in Murderer. Over 180,000 titles, including great thrillers to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. So stay tuned for the next episode of Meet the Thriller Author. Hey everybody, this is Alan Peterson with Meet the Thriller Author. And for this episode, I have uh, Timothy Hallinan. On Skype, he's an award-winning author of 20 highly praised novels. He uh, currently is is writing two series: uh, the Polk Rafferty Bangkok thrillers, which is focused on Thailand-based American travel writer and his cross-cultural family, and the fourth volume, uh, *The Queen of Patpong*, was nominated for an Edgar Award. And the Junior Bender Mysteries about a Los Angeles burglar who moonlights, uh, usually reluctantly, as a private eye for crooks. So I'm really excited to talk to uh, Timothy uh, today. Uh, Timothy, how are you doing?
1: i'm doing great can you hear that airplane uh let's see no i can't okay great we're on the approach to santa monica airport and uh i can always close the house up
0: <laughs> okay no, no i didn't hear anything so uh so how are you doing uh thank you so much for being on the podcast i really appreciate it totally my pleasure uh can you tell our listeners uh, uh, about yourself please sure i live in los angeles and
1: in bangkok uh i write about los angeles and bangkok um, I've been writing full time since 1995, pardon me, since 1990 and, uh, I consider myself the luckiest man in the world to be able to do that and still be able to pay the bills. Um, and basically my, my life boils down to my marriage, b- reading books and writing books and travel. And that's sort of it. I'm not the most interesting person in the world cause I sort of save all that up for
0: the books. Yeah, that's that's a dream life right there. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. And so, how would you describe your books to uh, someone who hasn't read uh, uh, read them before?
1: Well, I write mysteries and I write thrillers. And the difference between a mystery and a thriller is the question uh, that they that's asked at the beginning. Uh, a mystery, it's who done it, and a thriller, it's how do you get out of it alive. Um, I probably marginally like thrillers better. The Polk Rafferty books are thrillers. We always know. Uh, who the crook is? Although we have no idea how anyone's going to survive it, um, except of course that it's a series, so that you know that most of the people you care about are going to survive, and that's just one of the conventions that we all put up with. And and we still get suspenseful when the when the lead character's life is in danger. And the Junior Bender books, uh, and also my earlier series about a public a private eye named Simeon Grist. Um, those are traditional. Mysteries. We have absolutely no idea who did what to whom. At least, if I did my job well, you don't know. Uh, And the main action, the main action of the book is 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 proceeding toward the solution and and the reinstitution of order, which is always the primary um, mechanism of thrillers of crime novels in general.
0: And uh, your approach to writing the, those two different uh, uh, types a uh, you know, mystery or thriller, uh, uh, is there kind of a similar uh, way of approaching to the writing of these, or do you have like a different uh, process for each, depending if it's a thriller or a mystery?
1: I'd love to have more than one process, but I don't. Um, I have no idea uh, where my stories come from. I start with a sentence. Sometimes I start with a title. Once in a while, I'll start with a central uh, situation. In the book that's coming out in May that's self-published, which is Pulped. I went back to my private eye from the 1990s, Simeon Grist, and I asked myself, how would he react if he suddenly found out that the life he thinks he lived was actually written by someone else? And that he's a figment of the imagination. And and there's a whole book structured around that. Um, And I had so much fun writing it, I couldn't believe it. The next Bangkok book, uh, which is called Fool's River, and it comes out in October, uh, I told myself that what I wanted to do was to, sell, was to tell a minimum of three and probably four stories and have them all work out perfectly within 48 hours. And as, as it turned out, they worked out within 36 hours. So it's probably the fastest reading book I ever wrote. But that was what I had in mind when I started it. I mean, it's not like I start with a premise and characters and all the rest of that. I just sit down and essentially read it as I write it and I go where the characters lead me.
0: Oh, that's great. And do you have like a... Like when you're writing these, do you have a set... Like uh, I'm going to try to write you know, X amount of words per day or do you just kind of... It just depends on the day or or, or do you try to put some sort of uh, gauge on your writing day?
1: I try to write seven days a week because it's my job and because books tend to go stale and lose their energy if you're away from them too long when you're writing them. Um, I can't put a word number on it because there are days when I wind up writing 150 words and cutting 350 and there are days when I write 4000 words the important thing for me is to keep the book in the center of my mind and the only way to do that is by writing it every single day and when the book is in the center of your mind what happens to you there's a little thing in the in the in the back of your brain called the particular activating system and it's a it's a sorter what that does is it points out to you things among the millions of things we see every day things that it knows we're interested in that's why when you um when you decide to buy a honda all of a sudden you're aware that there are all these commercials for hondas and there are all these billboards for hondas that's because that system is pointing that out to you. And when you're really working on a book and you're really centered in the characters and the problems and all the rest of that, that little thing picks up everything around you that could relate to that book. And and consequently, if you work on a book every day, the universe just throws you material all the time that you'd probably walk right past if you weren't actually engaged in the act of writing it.
0: And do you write every day, even if you're not actively working on something, on a project, do you still try to write every day?
1: No, if I'm in between books, I'm shamelessly lazy. I'll do nothing at all, except that in the back of my head, there's this this little panic engine that says, what are you going to write next? What are you going to write next? You know, you don't have any ideas. Guess what? That was your last book. You know, I mean, that's always, that's always an operation. Every book I've ever written, when I finish, I think this may be the last one. And every, and every time it isn't.
0: Thank God. Yeah, that's great because you've been, uh, like you said, you've been writing professionally since the 90s and you still, you still feel that way. I, I, that's uh, fascinating for you. I only have two books out, so, but, but even after all those books you have, you still get that uh, little panic uh, feeling.
1: <laughs> it's pretty much endless. Um, my, writing, my writing is a product of anxiety. Um, I'm always anxious about writing and I'm always anxious about the fact that I'm not writing. And I wait until I'm more anxious about not writing than I am about writing and then I write. Um, and I, this all sounds kind of grim, except it's all about beginning. Okay. Everything is harder. This is my wisdom of life after a long time, um, trying to muddle my way through the world. Everything is harder before you start it. And once you start it, it develops its own energy and it pulls you along. Um, and you would think I would know that, but nevertheless, there's always an anxiety. This is the day I'll sit there when, and nothing will come out. Uh, this is the day when I won't be able to move the characters ahead. This is the day when I realize that I don't actually have a story. You know, I mean, there's, there are so many variations on writer anxiety. You probably have experienced all of them.
0: Yes, yes. And, and uh, I... I I I saw an interview with David Foster Wallace with with Charlie Rose and he said that he asked him what his writing day was like and he's like oh I write one hour and then I fret the other seven hours about not writing (laughs) I'm like yes (laughs) exactly exactly right (laughs) however much you write it isn't enough yeah you know And then uh, did you start writing thrillers? Were you a fan of of thrillers and mysteries as a reader before you started to write these? The first book I wrote, uh, the first book I read that really
1: took me away from my world. Uh, I was 11 years old and it was The Long Goodbye, Raymond Chandler. And it completely... Superseded everything that was real in my life. I was more interested in that book than I was in school, in my parents, in my brothers, in my girlfriend, anything. Um, and of course, the great sin that Chandler committed was that he makes it look easy. You know, you have no idea when you're reading that how hard he worked. To do you know that he cut his writing paper in half. And he put it in the typewriter, and he put it in sideways, so he had a little tiny page. And his rule was, there had to be something that qualified as magic on every single one of those half pages. It could have been a word, a description, an event. But I mean, talk about setting a standard for yourself. And when you're reading it, it feels like he just sat down and told you a story. Mm. But he worked so hard.
0: And it shows he's the greatest there ever was, I think. Oh yeah, I mean, they basically invented a lot of the stuff that that we're all doing now <laughs> absolutely right and when do you decide to when do you start writing uh, yourself
1: whenever um whenever i get too anxious to do anything else most of the time it's about one o'clock in the afternoon and i tend to write in cafes because that's where the coffee is <laughs> um and i i haven't uh, I have the world's best earbuds, absolutely sensational earbuds. And I've got probably 3,000 songs and probably 100 playlists on my iPhone. Uh, and I just dial up something that I think is the right energy and I tell them to keep the coffee coming and I work until I run out of words.
0: And uh, what inspired you to, to write your first book? Like, uh, when did you sit down and say, I'm going to try to write a book?
1: I had a really good job. I was running a company uh, that was in show business. I was living in Los Angeles, New York, London and Bangkok and I had everything in the world uh, that that I had any right to expect ever to have. But I wasn't, there was always this thing in the back of my mind that I was gonna be a writer. And I sat down and I wrote a perfectly awful book (laughs) with a great title, The Wrong End of the Rainbow. I've used that title a dozen times since, never as a title of a book but I use it in books as the title of a book that, that people read um, and it was terrible but I had dis- but I discovered that it was possible to tell a story without knowing where you were going and in fact at that time I also started reading reading Raymond Chandler on writing and Chandler said the best way to keep the reader from knowing who done it is not to know it yourself hmm. you no know? And, which is like it, it's a license. It's, go do work by the seat of your pants. So that was a, a book, um, a private eye book. I wrote a second one. I never showed that to anyone, not even my wife. I wrote a second one, uh, and it sold for a six-book deal with HarperCollins. Um, and that was that was the beginning. And I wrote those from 1990 to 1996, and then I I quit completely everything else in the world, and. Um, made did nothing but make money for about four years so i'd never have to work again and since then th- this is literally all i've done
0: you set it out for publishing and you were picked up right away huh? like like your your, the, your first try or
1: the, the first one the first one i put into a box and it's still in that same oh, okay
0: box. no one's seen that one okay <laughs> no
1: no one's that was dreadful but <laughs> was a great title um and the second one which was called skin deep um Sold, and what's more, it sold for it sold for a three book deal with an option for another three book deal, which they exercised uh, when I turned in the second book. Oh. So it was a six book deal.
0: Wow. And uh, are you still published with with them, or oh no, now you're with Penguin now, right? Or
1: no, uh, yeah, I'm with I'm with Random House essentially. Um, uh, uh, Soho, which is an all crime imprint that works with Random House. Uh, no, they let me go. Um, Because the books didn't sell They got great reviews I mean really great reviews They were nominated for awards But the books didn't sell Um, So they let me go And I sort of seethed for a while And then I decided not to do anything Except make enough money So that I don't have to do anything but write Mm -hmm. And that occupied me for a few years And now it's just absolutely that I'm trying to write three books a year Two for regular publication and one for self publication.
0: Uh, what's the difference that you're seeing uh, between those this, this two worlds? I, I, I know the publishing world has just changed so much the last five six years. <laughs>
1: there are there are huge advantages to both. The advantage to self publication. Let's go. Let's start with traditional publication. Traditional publishers give you a whole team. You've got an absolutely wonderful editor who looks at this with a with a new eye. You've got a terrific copy editor. My copy editor is Thomas Pynchon's copy editor. I specify her by contract, and she brings so much to the table. I can't tell you. You've got people running around coming up with cover designs, flap copy. There are all these people taking this idea that I sort of spewed out in some coffee house and turning it into an actual book, and that's an amazing feeling, you know. And then there's the release, and the and the box of books lands, and that's that's still there's almost nothing to beat it. Um, The problem is that it comes with certain restrictions. Um, They would prefer you not write for other publishers, for example. Um, Almost all contracts come with some sort of, at the very least, a first refusal. They get to look at it first, and only if they say no can you take it anywhere else. Self-publishing has no restrictions whatsoever. You put it up on your own it flies or it doesn't fly you do what you can to promote it if it works you get a paycheck every single month you know i mean bang right off the top there's three months there where they let the money accumulate and from then on every fifth of the month you get a a wad of money from amazon or from barnes and noble or from whomever you published it with Um, that has a lot to recommend it because in traditional publishing generally you get paid twice a year um, and I like knowing that that money is coming in on the 5th of every month uh, I also like being in charge of my covers the pulped cover is sensational not that they don't do great covers, they do my publishers have always given me good covers except for the first one which I'll never forget um, but you know, it's like traditional publishing you have this enormous support team Um Self-publishing is like being the guy who walked on the rope between the Twin Towers. Yeah. There's nobody there, okay? You are doing it all, you know? Um, and that's got kind of a thrilling aspect to it as well. So I really like both of them. Uh, I would really hate to lose my traditional publishers because the people at the company are some of my f- best friends. But at the same time, it's nice to be able to think I can write anything I want. Pulped is so far outside my normal range of, of, of storytelling that I'm not sure they would have even taken it if I had shown it to them. But if I'm self-publishing, that's my mistake to do. I can fall on my ass in front of everybody, uh, and there's no one to protect me, and that's actually kind of a free feeling. And uh, when is that book coming out? Pulp? Uh, Pulp will come out probably. We're, we're shooting at May 1st. It will be both ebook and a perfectly beautiful trade paperback um and uh and you know it's it's a book i really care i care about all of them um but this is something i've never tried to do before it's a it's a it's half one genre and half another genre it's a detective story but it's also a book about books i mean the cover of the book is the picture of the cover of a book and there's a reason for that and, and I had a great time writing it, and I didn't have to worry about whether anybody would want it or not because I was always going to do it myself.
0: And so you said that the the character in that in pulp is is one that you had written in the nineties. So what, yes, what, that...
1: Grist. his name is Simeon Grist. He was a guy like me who stayed in college forever, <laughs> getting one useless degree after another because he knew how they graded you in college, and he wasn't sure how they did it in the rest of the world. Um, And I did that. Um, I was in college for decades, it seems to me. Um, And when he finally got kicked out of college, he had to figure out what to do, and he fell into being a private eye. And I liked writing him enormously. Um, He was more like me than any character I've ever written. Um, But, you know, the question is, what happens to a guy like Simeon, who believes that all these stories that he was in actually happened to him and that he lived through them by his wits and all the rest of that and his courage and so forth what happens when he discovers that he's actually the product of somebody else's imagination you know i mean it's and and what the idea is that there is a place a kind of a limbo that's but inside something called the imagisphere which is if you have if you're the character in an unsuccessful series of thrillers of, of crime novels when the last unsold copy of the final book in the series is pulped to make newsprint and toilet paper, there's a kind of and you find yourself up in this sort of no person's land. That's all unemployed detectives. And you have this shattering realization that you haven't been real. You remember your books. You don't know anything except your books. Your only link to the down to the, to the world down here. So to speak is that when someone down here opens your books, you're both down there on the page and up there in the imagosphere and you can look up through the book and see the person who's reading your book and you, you know what they're reading um, and that's what he's doing and it's the only entertainment there is it's really boring up there that's what he's doing when uh, a pair of hands go around his readers throat and strangle him and uh, the question then becomes how do you get down there to solve the murder of your reader and what happens when you're down there? And that's what the book is about. Um, and it's really funny. I mean, I'll say that with total confidence. It's the funniest book I've ever written. And I had a great time with it.
0: Yeah, it's like an amazing uh, plot, like a very like David Lynch uh, type of Blue Velvet kind of movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It's, there's a guy in England um, who writes kind of mysteries in which uh, – Characters from one book go into another book and I can't think of his name right now I read one of his books many years ago and that was probably the seed of this um But it's different because among other things he falls in love down there um How do you how do you cope with that when it's over when you're 24 hours down there are over You're a fictional character in love with a real woman um anyway, it was the most fun i've had writing in a long time and you know it'll either do well or it won't i'll i may get an offer to traditionally publish it the last two books i self-published were bought for publication uh and i decided to go with that because it was a good offer um so i
0: don't know there may be an offer on this one it's pretty weird i don't know i don't know it's a pretty weird book Oh, looking forward to it so but but so by the time uh, we're recording this in uh, in, in mid-april but by the time the listeners are listening to this uh, hopefully it'll be out but I'll, I'll have links to your Amazon page and everything so I can go go find it because it sounds like a, a great read Thank you so much yeah. and so now um, so you you write in uh, in about LA and, and Bangkok uh, is so is a lot of your life experiences uh, do they do they make it into your books? I suppose that anything we imagine,
1: is a product of something we experienced. But except for the traditional um, putting in really unflattering portraits of people you don't like under a fictitious <laughs> name, which most of us have done at one time or another, I'm not really very conscious of the fact that um, the idea that my real life and my books rub up against each other very much. The one enormous exception to that is in the bangkok books my hero whose name is poke rafferty poke is short for philip it was given to him because his father because he by his father because he poked his nose into things that didn't concern him poke and his wife rose whose tie have adopted a street child a little girl named meow adopted her right off the pavement and in many ways meow is my favorite character in, in the series and I thought for a long time that when she's 19 or 20 and she moves out and she leaves Poc and Rose alone in this apartment that's always felt too small and all of a sudden it feels enormous that's probably the end of the series but when I was first in Bangkok and working on the Simeon Grist books I was writing them in a little cafe on Pat Pong Road which is the most was at that time the most notorious red light street uh, in the world probably and about I'm there from about 11 in the morning till about four in the afternoon. And I became aware that I was being watched and I turned around. Here's a little girl, filthy, pushed up against the glass, staring at me. And the minute she sees me looking at her, she turns and runs. And she's got a box in front of her that's suspended from a leather strap around her neck. I later found out that that thing actually cut into her neck and she bled all day long from it. Um, And she ran away. Three days later, she was back. Four days later after that, she was back. She kept running away. Finally, I called her in. I, 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 I set up. The only game on the, on the the uh, on the computer was pinball. I set it up. I showed her how to work the plungers, and I went for a 40-minute walk. And when I came back, she was gone. The booth was empty. There were three boxes of gum that's what she was selling out of that box was chewing gum Mm -hmm. three packs of gum in a perfectly neat little pile in the center of my plate and an astronomical score on pinball Mm -hmm. and from then on she came back every three or four weeks um and her name was meow just like the little girl in my books and about four years later when she was probably turning 14 or 15 uh she stopped coming And I've wondered ever since what happened to her. And I'm sure it wasn't good. Mm -hmm. So in that case, someone I met in in real life actually stepped pretty much unchanged because she was always spiky, intelligent, defensive, self-aware. She stepped directly into the series of books. She may have been the actual reason that I started writing the books was to find a story I could put her in.
0: And uh, what are the challenges when you're writing? I mean, like the research-wise, do you do like um? Uh, I mean, you're there in in Bangkok and and, and, and like this character, this, uh, this 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 girl inspired this these books. But uh, what other challenges do you have? And, and how much research do you do you put into your books before you start writing them?
1: I don't really do much of anything. Um, Google is everywhere. Mm-hmm. The research that so once again this I'm, I'm I guess I told you a lie before my my daily life does find its way into my books because it's impossible to stand on a sidewalk in Bangkok and not see a book go, go by every 30 minutes I mean you know there's there's the difference the, 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 the difference between rich and poor is so enormous um, the difference between privilege and no privilege is so enormous um, and yet The ties work so hard to put a good face on it all um that it's you know it's just so dramatically rich that uh in a sense just living there is research uh, and that's the research i do the junior bender books um he's the burglar junior knows everything about a lot of things um he knows how to spot the good stuff from the cheap stuff he can he can he can find the one necklace that's worth something in a drawer full of necklaces in, in a tenth of a second and he does that through a kind of expertise that he's developed since he started robbing houses at 16 years old uh, and all of that comes straight out of Google um, God bless Google mm-hmm. um, and people write in all the time and say wow how did you find this out You know, and the answer is I got it off
0: Google and what about um, uh, when you're writing your, your series um, do you like work on uh, on the mystery uh, and then the thriller, or do you like bounce between both series at the same time, or how does that? No, can't,
1: can't, can't do that. Can't yeah. do that. It it really, it really they each of them really demands full attention. Um, I was part way through the the the, uh, the the Rafferty book that's going to come out in October, um, whatever the hell it's called, uh, King of Fool's River, Fool's River. Um, when my editor read a note I had written a couple of months earlier about an idea for a junior bender Christmas book that would take place entirely in a, in a deteriorating mall in the last three days before Christmas. And she called me in Bangkok, which is where I was writing and said, you know, can we, can we do this for this Christmas? Um, and what that meant was I had to put aside fool's river, and start to write fields where they lay which which is the junior christmas book that came out in uh, november of last year and it, i felt like i had been i felt like a tree that had been uprooted i mean i could almost hear them <laughs> as i was pulled out of the ground because i was so far into the world of fool's river and that mall in canoga park california seemed to me to be in a different galaxy i mean it took me It took me days and days and days to find my way into that world again, which I had left, you know, only about eight weeks before when I started writing Fool's Fool's River. But, you know, when you are plugged into a story and you've given it permission, so to speak, to call out everything in the world that relates to it and you're wide open to all of that, uh, it's really hard. There's no there's no convenient off switch. So that you can say okay pivot 180 and start writing about a shopping mall in the end it worked great uh, the book was is on a whole bunch of best of 2016 lists the person who reviewed it for kirkus which is one of the publishing trades and usually the snottiest publishing trade said that it was the best christmas story he had read since sherlock holmes uh, the mystery of the blue carbuncle from night 1892 wow and i'm thinking gee nobody <laughs> said anything like that before um so in the long run it worked out but but it was like you know it was like having surgery performed without an anesthetic it was really hard to do so when i put one world in play in my imagination it's not like there's a door into the other one. I have to sort of knock down the one I'm writing, on, writing, and build the new one before I can really begin to inhabit it and make up story about it.
0: And how's the how's the working process uh, with the working with the with the big publishers? Do you like uh, do you send them the final manuscript for editing, or or do you send chunks uh, during the writing process? Or? I have a really
1: marvelously loose relationship. Um, you're sort of you sort of have to say when they when they sign you for four books you sort of have to say here are the books that are coming immediately and then here are two books that will follow and I just make up titles for those books you know you know the the you know heads you lose I mean just whatever the hell comes to mind but I never write those books by the time I get to it I've got a different idea for it. The only thing they know is that when, I'm, when, they, when I say they're going to get a Junior Bender book, they're going to get a Junior Bender book. When I say they're going to get a Poe Gravity book, they get a Poe Gravity book. Um, they don't see anything, and they don't ask to see anything until it's finished. That They invest an enormous amount of trust in me, uh, something I appreciate enormously, because that was not necessarily the case at HarperCollins. Um, but I give it to them whole. Here it is. I've read it. I've proofed it. I've rewritten with it do with it what you will. Um, and I get, you know, an absolutely wonderful editing letter from my editor who starts with the world of the book and goes down to the events and goes to the character and she's looking for improbabilities and she's looking for, you know, weak parts and strong parts and and I take the whole thing apart and put it back together again, following her her. Suggestions about eighty-five percent of the time, about fifteen percent of the time, I say no. You misunderstand, and I'll sharpen it so that so that it's clearer. Hmm. Um, you know, but but it's it's the best possible relationship. Essentially, they leave me alone to write the book, and then they pay full attention to it during production.
0: Yeah, that's so great to hear. Because yeah, sometimes you hear all those you know they're so strict you can't do anything. But that's great to hear that you have a great relationship with the uh, with a with a publisher.
1: You know, and when you have a bad one, it, it, it can be really silly. I mean, the Junior Bender books occurred to me when I was under contract with HarperCollins. And my editor at HarperCollins, who was a woman I really liked, um, I went to her and I said, Look, I've got an idea for a new book, and here's what it is. It's a comedy series about a detective about a a burglar who works as a private eye for crooks when he has no other choice and she said to me the single dumbest sentence anyone has ever said to me she said you know tim i don't think the american public associates you with comic crime fiction and i said i don't think 99.9 percent of the american people know i exist (laughs) but everybody seems to like comic crime fiction and i don't understand what you just said and that was sort of the beginning of the end of that relationship.
0: Mm. Yeah, because that's a great pitch. I mean, when I, when, when I read it in your bio, I was like, oh, that sounds like an excellent uh, a series. Yeah, mm. and it, ke- it keeps getting bought for television, so yeah. we shall see. Oh, you're getting those options and all that stuff? Yeah,
1: we had a, a wonderful, I, ca- I can't name him, yeah. one of the world's best comics. one of, I think the funniest man in the world, in fact, optioned it for about a year and then could not make a script out of it. And there have been a couple of other things since.
0: that's exciting Uh, in that process uh, are you involved in that or do they they, it's option and then they go off and do their thing I'm involved as little as possible Um, I I really don't want to have
1: anything to do there's somebody right now turning the uh, one of the Rafferty books into a script Um, and I you know I tell him if you want me to read it send it to me when it's finished Uh, And give me some time because I'm not even going to want to read it. There's something about me that just goes, I know this isn't going to work. I know it's not going (laughs) to work. Because, you know, narrative is so much. The narrative tone you lose entirely when you write film. Um, The people who tried to write a, a screenplay, there's somebody who tried to write a screenplay about fields where they lay. And one of the highlights of that book is that the night before the night before Christmas, jr stays in the mall after it closes he hides in in a defunct record store under a counter because half the stores in the mall are closed and then he spends the entire night alone in the mall with a ring of keys trying to figure out what the hell is going on and he does he puts it all together and by the time people stream into the mall at seven o'clock in the morning he solved it now the problem is. He's all alone during that entire process. So you can write about that. You can write about what's going through his mind. You can write about what he feels like when this particular key fits this particular lock and what that does to his entire sense of what has been happening here. But how do you dramatize it? You know, and the whole book falls apart. The whole script falls apart when you get to that incredibly important sequence, which is four chapters of a guy alone in a mall in a dark mall where someone has been killed and where shoplifting is up 600 percent and nobody knows why and uh it all gets solved
0: in his head so that's really hard to
1: dramatize
0: yeah especially with the the, the visual uh, uh, with television and the movies and everything it's, yeah i can imagine that would be kind of tough to to tackle
1: yeah, I mean, what's a, what are you gonna do? You gonna have a voiceover? Yeah. Then I thought, hmm, this key fits this one. <laughs> hmm, you know, I mean, none of it works. So anyway, it's it's a it's a different. It took me long enough to write a book uh, to learn how to write a book that I'm not crazy enough to think that I can also learn how to write a screenplay.
0: And uh, what do you, when you write your books are you use Word or something else? Or I use I'm an anti Microsoft person.
1: I use. A free, process, a, a free program called OpenOffice. Okay,
0: yeah, OpenOffice. Which
1: is terrific. And then at the end, you convert it to Word and you send it off.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I just, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a Microsoft fan, nor am I an Apple fan. So, <laughs> so there you are.
0: <laughs> All right, uh, Timothy, well, I'm not going to take uh, too much more of your time here. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, really great talking to you. But uh, before you go, is there anything you'd like to, to share with, uh, with the listeners? Anybody who wants to be
1: a writer has to face up to the fact that the only way to be a writer is to write. And that means you have to write every day. And that means you have to overcome your anxieties about not having talent. And it means you have to overcome the tendency to judge what you've just written as junk. Um, and it means you don't wait for your muse because guess what? You're your own muse. There is no external agency that's going to come along and tell you when to write and what to write. Um, Picasso said inspiration exists but it has to find you working and on my website which is www.timothyhalanand.com the biggest section on the site is called finish your novel and it is all the stuff that I used as class notes for a university level symposium, actually it was a a full semester's class on how you integrate into your life any kind of long-term creative enterprise so that it doesn't get shouldered out by the day-to-day demands of the real world the so-called real world because i think what you're writing is just as real as the world that you're living in um, and lots of people including people who you who have sold a lot more books than i have have used that to get through Books primarily, although I've also had people use it for other art forms And I just want to say that you can do it if you really want to You really have to want to And I would suggest that you that you take a look at that if Especially if what you're trying to do is to write a book Because everything I know about finishing a book And I've finished 22 of them now uh, 20 that have been published and 2 that are in pre-pub Everything that I know about finishing a book is in that section And it's
0: free yeah, that's fantastic. I just pulled up pulled it up on your website. I'm gonna definitely uh, dive into this, uh, and I I'll have a link to it on the website. It's at timothyhallinancom forward It's it sounds that's like it. Fantastic. That's it.
1: And by and by the way, I'm I'm developing that right now into a book called The End: colon, Writing to Finish, uh, which will also probably be self-pub, and it'll come out maybe in the next seven or eight months. And I've got twenty-five. Absolutely terrific writers who have told me what they do to get out of trouble, how they integrate their routine into their daily life so that there are chapters and then there are these writers talking and chapters and then these writers talking. It's going to be a terrific book, I think. Writers I really respect.
0: Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's yeah. I'm excited about this, and you have it broken down into six uh, parts. It seems like mm-hmm. it's very comprehensive. So yeah, thank you for this. My pleasure. Yeah, all right, Timothy. Well, thank you so much uh, for being on the show and uh, for sharing your knowledge, and uh, and it's been a lot of fun talking to you. Thank you, Alan. I really appreciate that. Thank you for listening to this episode of Meet the Thriller Author. I'd like to ask you to please review and rate this uh, podcast over on iTunes. It really helps me get the word out. If you take a few seconds of your time to uh, do that, it would be much appreciated. You can also visit my website at thrillingreads.com forward slash podcast for show notes on this episode, as well as information about the uh, podcast in general. And you can also sign up for my mailing list there. You'll be getting uh, special offers from our guests as well as information uh, behind the scenes information on the podcast and uh, please do visit my author website at alan i appreciate your support and so until next episode i will talk to you then